ho'olau ka naka i kaleo o nā manu. Ano ae nā makamaka ho'olohe ya kaleo o ka uluau. E ho'olohe nō kākou i kaleo o ka manu. Aloha to everyone listening as we embark on another journey on kaleo kauluau. This time we'll be learning about the manu of Hawaiinei. In the Olalo Noeau, the wise saying that Lei just mentioned, Ho'olau kanaka i kaleo o na manu, Mary Kavena Pukui writes, the voices of birds give the place a feeling of being inhabited. This is used by those who live, work, or travel in lonely places, that life is made happy by the voices of many birds. Welcome to Kaleo Kauluau. Our current season of Kaleo Kauluau highlights our deep connections with our avian cousins, the native birds of Hawaii. All season long, members of a group called Ahui Manu will be joining us to share about this connection between Kanaka and Manu. Ahui Manu is a group of people who are dedicated to a collective recollection and reaffirmation of our ancient and contemporary bonds with the Manu people, with the native birds of Hawaii. With each episode, our mea kipo will lift up the names, characteristics, and places associated with the particular native bird species, including their appearance in an oli composed to celebrate each one and their relationships with the life forms Mauka and Makai. Many of the birds are grouped together by their superpowers that each mea kipa will introduce. And today we have the privilege of having Brett Nainoa Mossman join us to share about the superpower called fancy feathers, with special attention to the birds Iivi and Akohekohe. Lei, would you do the honors? Hiki no. Brett Nainoa Mossman is the avian biologist for the Hawaii Island Natural Area Reserve System. He has an MS in Tropical Conservation Biology and Environmental Science from UH Hilo and a BS in Wildlife Ecology from Utah State University. Brett grew up in Utah, but his family is originally from Hawaii. He found his passion for Hawaiian birds while attending the Ho'omaka'ika'i Explorations Program and strives to restore their populations so that our sustainable cultural practices can also be restored. Until then, Brett brings the world of Hawaiian birds into our everyday lives through his Birds Hawaii past-present social media pages. Mahalo, Lei. Let's go over to Brett now. So we're really pleased to have Brett Nainoa Mossman here with us today um, on Kaleo Kauluau to share um, about his perspectives and knowledge of some manu. Mahalo nui for being here with us today. We're really excited to, to share some space and, and hear from you, Brett. Yeah, aloha, Drew, and uh, pre- I appreciate that introduction. Um, so yeah, I'm here to talk about uh, two of our manu in particular and celebrating their fancy feathers. Um, and so what we'll, the two species we'll be talking about today are the akohekohe, which is a species that can only be found on Maui, as well as the iivi, which it can fa- be found across the state and is one of our more common common native bird species. Um, but first, I wanted to kind of dive into what our group is working on. And so we we call ourselves the Ahui Manu, um, and we're a group of professionals, practitioners, and community members that are working on um, bringing our birds back into our lives and kind of creating this... Um, giving this vitality back to our birds. Um, and so we, we've we've written this oli, which is heavily influenced by the kumulipo and is kind of like a mo'oku hau for for our different manu, manu here in Hawaii or their genealogy. 
Um, and so the two two species that I talked about, the Akohekohe and the Iivi, are two of our younger species. Um, so the Akohekohe is actually uh, very closely related to the Apapane, and all the Apapane, Iivi, and Akohekohe all share a common ancestor. So and basically how the how the Oli works is we try to link one manu with a um, with an ia or a fish. And then we try to link it with a plant or something in the mauka region. So we do a makai, mauka, linking of the bird and trying to connect them to a species that is still thriving today in, in the hopes that by being connected to these thriving species, they themselves will thrive. Um, and so for the akohe kohe, we, we linked it to the um, lainihi uh, in the oh, ocean okay. or the, um, I think they're like a peacock ras is what they're called. I don't know the English name. I know, I don't I know. I what know what they look either. like though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> she's also the sister of Helemano. Oh, That's cool. Right. Um, so yeah, lainihi. And then for the plant, we connected the akohe kohe to the kohe kohe, um, which is a type of sedge that has kind of a similar little tufted um, appearance to the the forehead crown of the akohe kohe. Um, and then it's fitting that this is also tied to the iivi uh, because the iivi and the akohe kohe are fairly close cousins. Um, both the akohe kohe, the apapane, and the iivi all descend from a fairly common ancestor. And they're all a relatively young species um, compared to other honeycreepers here in Hawaii. Um, and in, in fact, the akohe kohe is one of our youngest bird species that we know of. It very recently uh, split from the ap apapane. Um, and one reason I think that might be is that iivi tend to pick on some of the smaller honeycreepers. And so I think they split into akohe kohe so that their cousins could then beat up on iivi on Maui. <laughs> um, when you say recent, how long ago was recent? So they probably split from apapane within one to two million years, and they split off as a group, Iivi, Mamo, Akohekohe, and um, apapane, as well as Ula'aihavane from um, Kohala about two to three million years ago. Mm. So still a long time, but relatively short for our honeycreepers. The oldest lineage of honeycreepers are the Akikiki and the um, Alawahio. So Akikiki is on Kauai, Alawahio is on Maui, and they split off from their common ancestor over six million years ago. Oh, wow. Um, so you can really see like these birds have been here for longer than some of our current islands. Um, so it's pretty, pretty neat. Mm. Um, and then the other species, of course, is our EEV. Um, and this species is connected uh, to the um, uh, Nuku EEV on, on in, in the ocean, which is this type of, I think they're called bird wrasse. Uh, they're kind of like these little small fish. They're related to like um, uhu or hinalea, um, some of those other wrasse species, uh, and specifically the female variety of that, of the bird wrasse, because the male is like this big bright blue, kind of like uhu. The female is this kind of brownish, and then it has this um, red-orange but long curved nose, just like the eevee, hence the name nuku eevee. Um, and that one also has a double meaning because there's also a nuku eevee in the mauka, um, areas with just this beautiful jade vine with these gorgeous red flowers. Um, and then for the Mauka part, we connected them to Ohavai and Haha, ha, which those two species are actually kind of rare as well. But because the Iivi is a relatively common bird, we're hoping that together they can kind of raise each other up. Um, so Iivi has a very special relationship with Haha ha and Ohavai because they're the reason that Iivi have a long bill. Um, and how this has worked is that over time, while a lot of times it's kind of painted as like birds want to pollinate plants, 
it's not really the case because pollen can actually cause damage to their feathers. And so birds don't want to get pollen on themselves. So what they've done in response is they grow a longer and longer bill so that the flowers can't get the pollen on them. But in response, the flowers get longer and longer. And so that's why we have these birds that have these incredibly long bills here in Hawaii because they are in this constant evolutionary arms race between the birds and the plants to, to, to not get pollen on their feathers and to for the plant to get pollen on their feathers. Um, and so as a result, these plants have been in this constant um, relationship with the birds. And so we have these incredible long curved flowers and these incredible long curved bills in our birds. Um, and so that's been, so that's kind of why those things were, were grouped together is that they can, not only is their relationship still present on the landscape, but the EEV is it's in still pretty common on Hawaii Island and Maui can hopefully is going to be instrumental in bringing back some of these really endangered haha and ohavai um, because it's the last bird around that can still pollinate them. You know, a lot of the other species that had those long curved bills are no longer here, um, but EEV is still present and it can still hopefully if we can restore EEV, we, it'll help restore all of these other plants as well. And yeah, so that's kind of the introduction to um, the oli that we've been working on as the Ahui Manu to bring all of these connections to light, as well as connect these birds back into our verse as well, you know, because these Hawaiian birds were such an important aspect of our culture and past here in, here in Hawaii. Um, that unfortunately has largely been severed. You know, we still have connections to birds, especially Lavaia, um, on the ocean, you know, and their connection to seabirds, but our, our really intimate connections to forest birds has largely been lost. Um, and so we're hoping that we can kind of bring this back and just by putting that vitality out there, we can then restore, um, our connection to these birds and hopefully eventually even our cultural practices associated with these birds, such as feather catching, feather work and bird catching. Um, and that kind of brings me back kind of full circle to EEV. And I really want to highlight that species because they're the last of the Ali'i Manu um, or our chiefly birds. And that's important because they were the birds that were primarily used for the creation of our feather work. Um, and it, it's really important to me cause that's actually what got me largely interested in, in birds here in, here in Hawaii was my first exposure to Hawaiian featherwork. And that for me, that happened, I, I grew up in Utah, um, kind of away from Hawaii. Um, but my family was here and so we visited, um, as often as we could, you know, growing up, but the, the time where I really got exposed was I attended the explorations program at Kamehameha schools. Um, and we went to the Bishop museum and that's when I saw the featherwork for the first time Beautiful. that I remember. And I just, I couldn't believe it. You know, yeah. it was just this absolutely incredible, like the amount of time that went into that. And that was before I even started catching birds as part of my work, you know, and like, it takes a long time to catch a couple birds with, even with our modern methods you know, it's like imagining back to how they had to catch all those birds in the past, you know, it's just, it's just mind boggling. And then the amount of time and effort and mana that went into the producing something like that was just, it just blew me away. And then the thing that really struck me back then was that in our little guidebooks or like the little, like, I don't know what you'd call them, the little like activity. Yeah, yeah, little workbooks. There we go. Um, they had two pictures of Hawaiian birds, but it wasn't pictures, it was drawings. And like, I'm like, why is it a drawing? You know, like clearly there's oh. so many of them. 
And then like later on, I found out it's because a lot of these birds are gone. And so I think EEV is really a special bird because not only does it have this important role in our ecosystem, but it's also the last bird that can bring back some of that, some of those practices. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why like we, we included that species in our like fancy feathers group because it's this bird that has these incredible red feathers that were used for so long. And, and, um, and it's still here, you know, it's still here, it's still present and it's responding well to some restoration efforts, especially at, in places like Hakalau Forest National Wildlife Refuge, um, where over half a million native trees have been planted and EEV are responding to that. You know, they're, they're increasing in number in that area. And it's, it's really neat too, because that kind of connects us back to um, this place here on this island, you know, where we have more EEV than anywhere else. And specifically at Hakalau, there's more EEV than anywhere else. Like just in that one place, there's as many as 70,000 birds um, where that, that's more than all the other islands combined, you know, so it's just at Hakalau. And so it's really a unique thing that is special to this place. And, and Hawaii Island in particular was known for bird catching, um, both in, like, I think the main places for forest birds were in Ola'a, Hakalau, and in Kaumana, which many people here in Hilo probably know fairly well, you know, it's just, just right up the road. Um, and I think that's, that's the kind of thing where it's just like knowing, knowing that and knowing the potential for like, if we can one day control mosquitoes, which are the biggest threat to native birds, like these birds can come back, you know, and that's, that's, I think the thing that we really want to highlight and think about, you know, and we're in this Oli and in, in our work in bird conservation. Um, and then I think for, for the Akohe Kohe, the reason that we put that species in with our fancy, fancy feather group is it is really just an a stunning bird. You know, there's not really any other bird in the world that's colored in that way, where it's like, there are these pretty large, mostly black birds, but then they have these orange polka dots that come out on the tips of each of their feathers. And then the really unique thing is they have this, this crest. Um, and it's this like kind of this, this gray crest that sits right on top of their bill. And it's this, it's, it's hard to describe, but it's like this, this almost more like of a, a coarse feather and I think for a long time, there was people that, that suspected that they thought it was like to help with pollination. But I think because the feathers are so coarse, I think it actually helps kind of push the pollen away from their more sensitive feathers on their head because um, they primarily feed in ohia, um, in the lehua blossoms. And so if they're coming in, they're like the little anthers stick out pretty far and so it'll get pollen all over the bird. But I think that because it has that little crest, it pushes those, those pollen out of the way. Um, and so it prevents it from getting onto the bird's more sensitive feathers. Um, and then it also could just be a, a, a sexual trait, you know, where the birds are just like, that's how they distinguish like the biggest, strongest males, the biggest, strongest females, you know, that's, it's, it's how they communicate is through sound and through the visual cues. I kind of mentioned a little bit about where you can find EEV, um, but specifically they're found primarily in our higher elevation wet forests. Previously, though, they would have been found everywhere from coastal, low elevation. Um, like there's record, like people talk about them being in Kealakekua, um, right there in the, in the, when Cook first arrived, he said they were EEV that they could see from the boat. Hmm. The birds used to be pretty much everywhere, but for right now, they're, they're found primarily in high elevation forests, so above 4,500 feet. And they're very strongly associated with Ohia. So pretty much anywhere Ohia grows above 4,500 feet, you'll find an EEV. Um, and the same thing kind of goes for Maui, for um, Kauai, 
that's that's where they're they're also found. Unfortunately, on Kauai, they're they're declining pretty quickly, um, and they will likely be extinct in the wild on that island within the next few years. But on Maui and Hawaii Island, they're still doing fairly well, and then they occasionally still show up on Oahu. Uh, they're probably coming over from Maui, would be our guess, uh, just because they, we don't think that there's any wild populations remaining on Oahu. It's just a little bit too low elevation, and the mosquitoes just tend to get to the, any individuals that end up on that island. Um, and the reason that they are so associated with ohia is because iivi are a nectivore, so they really depend on flower nectar throughout the year. Um, but they they feed on a wide variety of species from ohelo, akala, ohia. They'll even feed on koa nectar, which is kind of hard to believe. Those little tiny pom pom mm-hmm. flowers have some nectar in there, so the eevee will feed on that. And yeah, especially in the spring when the ohelo and the akala are blooming, like eevee at Hakalau, they'll just like descend into the low elevation or low parts of the forest, and you can just see them just like an arm's length away. It's pretty amazing. Um, and then in the winter, kind of neat thing with the with both Eevee and Apapane is they actually migrate upslope. And they, this you'll see this both on Maui and Hawaii Island, but they'll migrate upslope to feed in the Mamane blossoms, um, particularly on Mauna Kea and Haleakala. Um, and that is a spectacular time to see those birds because they're that red and yellow combination just pops. You know, it's like it's it's almost like seeing the capes in the wild. You know, but it's it, it's between our flowers and our birds. So yeah, that's kind of what Eevee do. And then for the Akohe Kohe, they are more restricted. So previously they were found across Maui Nui, as far as we know, um, within historic observations, they were on Molokai, probably Lanai, and then Maui. Today they're only found on, on Maui and specifically only on the Eastern side on Haleakala. Um, and just like the Eevee, um, Akohe Kohe are nectivores. So they really depend on Ohia and they are, they are almost an Ohia obligate. So they almost require Ohia for their, for their lives. Um, cause they have a shorter bill. So they're not as good at getting at some of those other nectar sources that Eevee can get to. As a result of that, they're actually very territorial, um, which is kind of different from the other, other, uh, nectivore species. Because uh, most of the nectivores are nomadic, so they kind of go where the nectar goes, that's where they go. So like for Eevee, for instance, in the winter and spring, they're usually at higher elevation because that's when the ohia is blooming at, in those areas. But then in the um, summer and fall, they actually go to lower elevation because the ohia starts blooming lower down. Um, but Akohe Kohe, they actually will just maintain one territory and they defend it from all other nectivores. So like, and Akohe Kohe are pretty large birds. Um, so they, they're bigger than Eevee, bigger than Amakihi, bigger than Apapane. And so they aggressively chase out any bird that comes into their trees. And it's really cool. They actually will forage on a cycle. So if you see an Akohekohe, and Eevee do this too, but if you see an Akohekohe, if you wait within about 20 minutes to half an hour, sometimes 45 minutes, they will come back to that tree um, because they, they know when the nectar recharges in their ohia. Um, and so you'll see them, like depending on which tree, they come back at a different interval because different trees recharge at a different rate. And so they, and, but they know, like somehow they figure out which tree recharges when. And so they keep foraging on this cycle. And anytime they see any other bird in their territory, they chase them out, whether it's another Akohe Kohe or an Eevee, they're really, really aggressive birds. So you can only find them like two, the two best places for Akohe Kohe are the Hanavi Natural Air Reserve, which is kind of this really remote area on Haleakala. And then the, the Nature Conservancy's Waikamaui Preserve um, right by Haleakala National Park um, on Maui. Uh, so those are, those are kind of the 
where where these birds live and how they act and yeah it's really neat and and it's 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 interesting too to see how the dynamic has has kind of changed because like in the we used to have a lot of nectarvores here in hawaii um because we have higher proportion of our native plant species are pollinated by birds than any other land area and then similarly more of our plants produce fruit that need to be eaten by birds than almost any other land area so there's just this incredibly close relationship between birds and plants here in Hawaii. Um, and so what happened was, is there was this really like interesting hierarchy of nectarvores. And it started with the kioea, which is this, um, they're a large uh, honey eater. So they're related to the o'o, but they're about twice as big. So they were the biggest of the nectarvores. They're just these like huge birds. Like they're not quite as big as an alala, but almost. Um, and so they were kind of like the big bosses and they were found across all of the major islands as far as we know, except for maybe Kauai. Um, so they were the big boss. They were in charge of all the nectar resources. And then below them, you had the O'os and then depend, and then depending on the island, it was the O'o or the Mamo. And then you had the, the smaller O'o and then you had EEV, Apapane, Amakihi. So on, on Hawaii Island, it's really interesting because now EEV is kind of the big boss of the nectar resources where in the past it was like bottom of the totem pole. Um, you know, so it's kind of interesting to see how that has, that has shifted over time. It's, it's funny too, because like you'll actually see where in some places where EEV aren't present, Apapani and Amakihi numbers are way higher because um, they the EEV theoretically, I guess, would kind of suppress them a little bit um, in the areas where they're, where they're present because they're really dominant birds. Um, and that's, and that, that kind of, that dominance of the nectarvores is kind of what is one of the reasons that they probably got grouped in as an aliya manu um, because they saw that, oh, these birds are the ones that are in charge. You know, these are the birds that are, that have the authority that control the resources, you know, and so it's kind of an interesting parallel again between people and birds mm -hmm. where they saw this kind of like this aggressive behavior and associated that with ruling class basically. Uh, but yeah, so it's kind of really interesting ways that the birds used to interact and how that's kind of maintained even today and even throughout all the change. It's interesting to see that correlation with the higher ranking or so to speak birds and the correlation between the ali'i of the people of Hawaii. And in order to have recognize that there would have had to have been a pilina, a, a relationship. So that would mean that our people were in the forest interacting and observing over a long period of time to, to even notice that. So that speaks to me in my, um, in my Manawe, it speaks to me as to the level of interaction that we had with our Manu people back then. Yeah, it, exactly. And I think like the, the amount of information that existed about our birds must have just been incredible you know because like like i was saying earlier like for us to catch an eev sometimes takes days you know to catch one bird in an area where there's tons of them you know where like they're and our kupuna were able to do it and catch tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of these birds in a relatively short period of time comparatively so they must have known so much more about these birds than we do today you know to be able to do things like that um and it's just, it's just, it's, it's both humbling and then also kind of sad to think about, you know, cause it's like, that's information that is largely inaccessible to us today. Um, because it's something that wasn't valued as it should have been in, 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 in the past. And so it's, and, and it was seen and it was kind of like different. And even now, like, like we're finding more and more information about our birds within Oli, you know, like that, cause Oli was the way that we preserved our scientific knowledge in the, in the past. 
And so it's been really interesting to look back at some of those things and see like these relationships, like in the Kumulipo, um, I'm kind of jumping species a little bit here, but one relationship that was really neat is that Alala is seen as the parent of Alavi. And for the, I couldn't figure that out. You know, like I've, I've had experiences with both of those birds and I couldn't see a relationship between them. But one time when I was in the forest in Pu'umaka'ala, there, the Alala were there and we were watching them. And all of a sudden a little Alavi flew in and was in the exact same tree as these big Alala and wasn't even like nervous about it, just kept going along. And Alavi kind of creep along the branches and they'll pry open bark to get little bugs out. And I looked over and the Alala was doing the exact same thing, but on a bigger branch. And like that, at that moment, I was like, there's the Kumulipo right there. You know, you could see it in the birds. It was really, really interesting. Um, and and that's why, like, so I keep looking back at the Kumulipo because I, I, there's other birds that like, we don't know what they are. Um, like they're mentioned as birds, but we don't know what they are. And I'm like, I wonder what bird that is referring to, you know, and like trying to think of the relationships to see if we can maybe like tease it out. Um, but yeah, so there's some really cool stuff, really like intriguing and in interesting information out there. It's just a matter of finding it and getting people who know the Oli, who know who know the the Olelo out into these places to see these interactions, see these birds, to really make that information click back into place. Mm -hmm. um, and like one thing, so a kohe kohe is like is is a really hard bird to find and see. You know, they're really restricted in their range now, and so like I. I'd always wanted to see one, and so I, I ended up going on this mission on Maui to basically hike in and see an Akohe Kohe. And, and it's kind of like you're going on a, on, a, on a whim, you know, you're trying to, like, it's a place where most people don't hike to. And, like, I had, like, half an hour to maybe see an Akohe Kohe before we had to turn around. And we went, it was my friend and I, we went in, and we're, we're hiking down, we're looking, looking, looking. And, like, I set an alarm for when we had to turn around, and the alarm goes off, and we hadn't seen an Akohe Kohe. And it was just like, no... And then all of a sudden they have this, like, Akohe Kohe have this, like, really, they they kind of sound like Apopane, but it's a deeper, louder um, one-note call. It's kind of like a choo, choo. And so as we were going, we heard that right as we turned around. And so we looked up and, like, for just a, two seconds, an Akohe Kohe popped into an Ohia tree. We saw, got eyes on it, got to see it, binoculars, and then boom, it was gone. You know, it's like it was there and then gone. And, and. They're akohe kohe are kind of funny because like they you always know when they're around because they 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 make almost constant noise like they almost they like like to talk to themselves a little bit, <laughs> um and they kind of just do these like <laughs> almost all day they'll do this little like kind of sounds and so you, you can kind of like you'll hear that and it, and you know you're kind of near an akohe kohe and so it's it's really kind of it, it was really exciting to see that. I've never actually gotten to hear them do their their songs. They actually do this kind of weird, it's like tew, tew, duck, duck, tew, tew, duck, duck. <laughs> and that's and um so it's very it's kinda like Apopani, but I think it's like if you just lower it an octave, you know, and that's and that's how you get the akohe kohe sounds. Um but yeah, so they're just very special birds, and um, I hope that as things get better, as we restore more habitat, and as we control the threats that impact our birds, more and more people get to, will get to experience, um, get to experience them like um, I have, and hopefully get to have a whole new lease on what these birds do and and how they interact with our environment. Mm -hmm. But yeah, and I think like EEV are another really special one too. And one thing that I'd like to highlight is on Kauai, I was fortunate. I was able to see EEV there. Um, and, 
you know, and it was exciting to, to, to be there on Kauai with these birds, you know, and it's, it's something that I, that I really treasure because like Kauai is where my Hawaiian, it was where part of my Hawaiian ancestry is from. And so it's really interesting to be able to connect with EEV while they're still there for me personally. Um, and, and like the whole, like while we were there, we saw every single Kauai bird except for Puaiohi and um, Akikiki. And so it really just highlights like you can just really just sit in one place in the forest and you'll eventually see all the birds. You know, it's pretty, pretty incredible. Something you mentioned was the word lavaia, and that's a term that is used for our bird gatherers, the, the, the fishers of birds. And um, as you were speaking, I thought about how our lavaia, for the people who are in kai, that ike has been passed down as far as where to go to find these fish just from generation to generation. What are the optimal conditions to get these fish? Where do you go? The seasons, the currents, all of those things, right? And on the on the other side with the manu, those, those things that you would use to find those particular birds has, has been, you know, either lost or in serious decline. I don't know who knows these things now, but I'm just trying to illustrate how with the fish that that continued, that maintained, but on the bird side, for whatever reason, we, we lost that. And I don't know if mm -hmm. it ties to the ali'i and needing those things to present or, you know, just, I'm just wondering, I'm just, it's just a question to put out there. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's, it's kind of hard to, to answer, but I, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that just the birds kind of disappeared, you know, like we, we, we did lose them, you know, and like there's, I, I remember there's some observations from Westerners where, when they were here, uh, well, they were on Hawaii Island and Oahu. They're like, they were kind of going crazy because they're like, there's no birds here. You know, they couldn't believe it. And then they went to Kauai and they're like, oh, to hear birds again. You know, and I think that might be part of it. You know, it's like in addition to like our populations experiencing so much loss, you know, our birds also experienced all this loss. And so I think we lost both the people who knew and we also lost the relationship with the birds. But I think I really want to highlight, too, that like. We didn't let it go lightly. Um, there's some really, there's an interesting New Pippa article. Um, I think it's called The Locals of the Tuahine Rain. Um, and I think it was, I can't remember when it was written, but is it 1800s? And it's it's a person who's writing to uh, to the newspaper and and they basically are saying, where are our manu? You know, and they, they talk about how like when they were kids, they would run through the ilima and, and play with the manu. Um, and like to, for me, imagining a bird in Ilima is like hard to do nowadays, you know, because there's not very many places where our birds overlap with that plant anymore. But and that wasn't that from I think it was in Eva is where they were describing that on Oahu. Oh, wow. You know, so it's like people are like people remember the birds and they were like trying to be like, hey, like we need to do something about it. And it was kind of interesting at that time. Um, the person actually blamed the Haole birds is what they said in the article. Um, they blamed the the foreign birds, you know, coming in and like chasing out because they thought they saw it as very similar to what had happened to Hawaiians where like the holidays came, they introduced the diseases and it caused us to decline. It's very it, almost the exact same thing was happening to the birds. And so it's the kind of they, but they were specifically being like these white eyes are replacing our native birds. Like we need to do something about this, you know, and I, I thought it was really interesting to see that, you know, it's like we didn't just let it go. It's just that the just over time, it just is one of those things that kind of just fell, fell away, you know, and, but people tried to, like, they brought attention to it. They cared about it. And I think that's what we're really working on doing today is bringing attention to it, to it, caring about it, and then asking, how can we bring this back? 
you know, I think that's, that's kind of the ultimate goal for me as, as, and that's why I got into conservation to begin with, you know, is just to try to get to a place where we can use these things again and, and bring them back into our everyday lives. Cause like, and, and one thing that I, that I've said a lot too, is like, um, like we all talk about having like, like freezers full of, um, pua'a, you know, and like having, having our meat, like I want to see people have freezers full of ua'u and like, EEV pies, you know, EEV lao lao, you know, <laughs> it sounds crazy today, but you know, that was something that we did every day back in the, in the past. So that's, that's one or not freezers, but you know, you know what I mean? But that's, that's something that I hope we can get back to. And like, I think we have the potential to provide these resources in all regards. Like we can have pua'a and we can have ua'u it's just we have to create space for both instead of just letting one run everything, you know. And so that that's kind of my dream and my hope. And I think we're getting there. It's just it's just going to take work from all of us and really just in any way that we can bringing back vitality to these birds. So whether that's you're volunteering, you're getting a job in conservation, you're you're learning this oli and participating in our regular manu aha, you know, like all of that is changing the tide of what is happening in Hawaii. And if we can slow down the change that's hitting our birds, we can bring them back. You know, we can bring back these practices and we can all have fancy feathers again. You know, and like, that's the thing that that I really look forward to. And and I think it'll happen within our lifetimes if we if we come together behind our birds. That's really inspiring um, to think that that is something that is quite possible during our lifetimes. And I think we can all um, commit to working towards that goal. So mahalo nui for that inspiring message. and. As we as we approach our closing, would you mind sharing the calls of the the manu that you've highlighted today, please? Yeah, absolutely. I, I can't do them justice, but I'll I'll do my best. So we have the EEV, and they they kind of do this. Um, in addition to a lot of other calls, they kind of have this like metallic-y gate sound, but. And then the akohe kohe, they do this little. And then this pew pew duck duck pew pew duck duck. And that's that's our manu that we covered today. Oh, oh mahalo. So mahalo Nui for visiting us today and um sharing your observations. Um this this special emphasis on connection, on pilina, on you know, our relationship and our reflect the reflection that we see in ourselves with our manu friends and it's very inspiring what you've shared. So thank you very much for being with us today, Brett. Yes. Mahalo nui. Yeah. Mahalo to you both. And um, yeah, just I really encourage everybody to get out there and go see some birds. So aloha. Aloha. Mahalo nui to our mea kipa, Brett Nainoa Mossman. Aye, what a great visit we had with him. We learned a lot indeed about two of our manu friends, the i'ivi and the akohe kohe, as well as the pilina between birds of the uplands, the environment that they interact with, as well as the many similarities they share with kanaka. To learn more about Brett, Ahui Manu, and our manu friends, you can follow Brett on Instagram at birds underscore Hawaii underscore past present or birds of Hawaii, the past and the present on Facebook. Also, don't forget to check out our blog at hilo.hawaii.edu slash And follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Ahui ho! Aloha! Aloha.